Hello everyone, it is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development, one tip at a time. Yes, it is time for a self-improvement sit-down. This is one of my favorite things to do. Instead of sharing a short, action-packed, two-minute episode about a personal development technique, exercise, or strategy, in the self-improvement sit-downs, I have an in-depth conversation with an expert in their field on the things that matter. I found that there is no replacement for the learnings we have in this setting, and today's topic is especially interesting. Stay with it. We start by talking about our guest's experience, which is necessary to get into the real thick of what he does and why it matters. Personally, I was extremely moved by the end of it, and if you are too, then stick around to the end of the episode to hear about a special opportunity I have for you. All right, let's jump into it. Self-improvement sit-down number 18 with Eric Kaufman. And we are live. Today's guest is Eric Kaufman, and he is a pioneer in the conscious leadership space. If that's a new term to you, it was a new term to me. And after learning the basics of it, I now identify as a conscious leader. And I'm curious to see what you think. Eric has a long history in the space. He's the president and founder of Sagatica, a firm that teaches executives from big companies like Facebook, Sony, and Verizon how to work with socially conscious practices in mind. He's also the author of the book, The Four Virtues of a Leader. He's a leading keynote speaker and a truly enlightened individual. He describes his work as an unrelenting commitment to results with an unyielding regard for the human spirit. Eric, there is a lot to you and this conversation. I'm really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. Me too. First, I, I wanted to start that conversation about you because in our previous correspondence, we didn't touch on the crazy personal journey that you've been through in your life and how you've even been able to discover this passion in space. And kind of in my research, I found that there are two components that stand out that contribute to this experience and development. First is your love for scuba diving, which you argue was the mechanism that helped you develop as a leader and to understand leadership. And then something that's super interesting was your year in the woods, which led to your discovery of consciousness and kind of a deeper spirituality. Would you mind touching first on those two experiences and how they shaped you into a conscious leader? Um, the scuba diving, uh, the scuba diving was fun because what that was all about was, you know, I was, I was really young. I was about 16, maybe my, um, uncle took me diving in the Red Sea and a lot sort of on the very Southern tip of Israel on the border with, uh, Egypt. And, um, and we went diving in the Red Sea and I fell in love with it immediately. I mean, not just the Red Sea, but the whole idea of being underwater in a different realm, the experience of the gear and the people. And it, I, anyway, it, it just, it, it immediately grabbed me. And this is a long time ago. This is the early 80s, 1980, maybe. So long story short, I became so enamored. I became an instructor. And uh, over the years, as I was uh, teaching scuba diving, that was really, unbeknownst to me, a very uh, powerful learning laboratory for leadership. Because I'd have to take people who are, um, strangers to a realm they wanted to go into and help them safely navigate in a way that um, had real risks and real beauty and real pleasure. 
And I had to understand authority and I had to understand how to teach and I had to understand how to cultivate, you know, the sort of best in other people. And, and I had to learn this all as a young person. I was in my sort of early 20s when I was learning to be and become a scuba diving instructor. So that was kind of an early, very wet classroom on the essentials of leadership, which is really about organizing and influencing people to achieve meaningful results. I mean, that's what leaders do. You know, as a leader, you have to organize people, get them to move together and influence them, get them to move in the direction you want them to, to achieve meaningful results. And, and that was a early lesson in the oceans. It's interesting you mentioned that because I'm kind of reflecting on my own personal experience. You know, my first job was in medical device sales. And similar to you, I was in a position where I had authority in the operating room, but I didn't necessarily earn it based on my age. So there's an interesting dynamic in how do you practice that leadership and how do you practice that authority, but still doing it in an appropriate way and having respect for superiors and people who are older than you in the room. And I think that's kind of like a very intensive process for a lot of people to understand what their skill set is and what they have to offer in the leadership realm. And then the different tactics you can use to actually exercise that leadership in an appropriate way. So I, th I think that, I mean, I would encourage, you know, people to kind of begin their pursuit of leadership almost at a younger age because there is that kind of development and this unique form of development that is specific to being young and practicing these qualities versus, you know, kind of retroactively, you know, assuming a, a position of authority through age. Um, so I, I'm glad that you could reflect on that and kind of discover leadership early on um, as kind of I did. And, you know, I, I feel like it's definitely served me. You're doing something that I think is important because we're, we're talking about conscious leadership, right? And so age is always kind of, a, I mean, I was the younger guy, you know, I was the youngest guy in my community. I was the youngest guy in the business. I was a young leader. I was a young scuba diving instructor, et cetera. And um, there's often a conversation about youth and leadership, right? Do you deserve it because you're young? Do you have to have it? So the reason I bring it up is that, you know, leadership um, is not just about domain expertise, right? Domain expertise is what you gain with time and experience. But there is an attitude, there's a presence, and it's particularly the, this idea of conscious leadership, which is, um, which is both this combination of, as I mentioned, you know, results, we've got to get things done, but the human spirit. And when people reflect, and I've asked literally thousands of people, I've asked this over the years, when people reflect on a leader whom they respect and remember, it's never somebody who was brilliant or strategically savvy or, you know, a domain expert. Everybody respected and remembered the leader in their life who made them feel like a good human being. Hmm. That doesn't require an age component. That just requires being conscious, showing up in a particular way. So I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned this kind of youth and leadership because from a conscious leadership perspective, age is not the function. The function is how awake where are you and how tuned how tuned in you are to being able to help other people be their best selves yeah that, that's interesting so it's more like a matter of just being effective based on the tools and experience you have you know because and that's something that comes up all the time with leadership is you don't have to be in a leadership role to lead right there are so many people that are kind of middle of a company that set the culture and are really driving results based on the way that they interact and really execute on their role so that kind of is a, a good complement to what we're talking about here with the age side of it is, okay, let's say if you're not the ultimate leader in an organization, you still have your role and your leadership that you can offer in that kind of secondary component. Um, and I, I think I think that's a, no, that's a great point. And I'm glad that we uh, took a little more time on it. And especially in the context of conscious leadership, you know, as people are learning kind of the new details 
of conscious leadership and, um, you know, might challenge some of the things that they already believe, then it's the same thing. You need to present that information in a way that's designed to be received. Um, and that's kind of lessons that you can learn while you're young because you have to be appropriate and respectful while you're young. That transitions, especially as you're teaching a new subject. And, you know, the kind of the, the components of conscious leadership is, okay, we talked about leadership, but now let's get to that conscious side. And this is where your story of your year in the woods kind of really comes in and helps you um, kind of discover your spirituality. Uh, can you reflect on that experience? And man, was it an experience, right? Yeah, yeah, it was an experience, Brian. Um, the year in the woods, actually. So um, I was 30 years old. I had, I had when I was 19, I had joined a spiritual community. So it wasn't, it wasn't new to me. I had spent, uh, you know, 10 years or 11 years already in a very intensive spiritual pursuit, uh, living in a community and uh, practicing um, very intensely with a, with, a, with a group of people um, for over a decade. Um, the reason I went off into the woods was that um, at 30 years old, I felt like I was having a bit of a crisis. I, I was uh, just promoted again at work. I was on a track for a general manager position, um, you know, not, not within a year or two, but I was on a GM track um, in my spiritual community, I was, I was also taking on more responsibility and more opportunities to teach. And I came to a point that was a, uh, it was a uh, truly a kind of a fork in the road, right? Because there's only so much time, effort, and most importantly, attention. I mean, the name of the game in life isn't really time. It isn't really money. It's attention. What do you give attention to? Hmm. And I realized that I could give my attention to going deeper in my spiritual work, or I could give my attention to going deeper in my corporate world, but I couldn't do both with the same level of intensity at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that what really called to me was the spiritual world. And so I actually, I quit my job. I uh, liquidated my 401k. I donated the money. I shaved my head. I, I sort of, you know, decided I'm no longer part of the corporate or, or sort of material normal society. And I broke off and built a cabin in the woods in New Mexico and went in there to meditate and deepen my spiritual practice with the intent that I would spend the rest of my life in that kind of, you know, hermetic uh, spiritual pursuit. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a pretty pivotal moment in my life, right? There's, there's, there's a few times you can point backwards and go, that was definitely a moment that changed my life. And that was one of those. Now, the reason that it ended up only being a year is because to my uh, utter surprise, complete shock, about a year into sitting there in the woods, I had this revelation and the revelation was that I was going about it all wrong. And I was, I thought, what? It was this literal revelation that my spiritual life and practice would grow and mature and evolve with wife and children and service to community. And I kind of sat there and I thought, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I took it for like another month waiting for the, the next message. Maybe there's a message I like better. <laughs> but no, it was um, it was clear that uh, the, the the isolation and withdrawal uh, served me as much as it will. But I need to evolve and spiritually grow in relationship and in service. And um, so I, I uh, reluctantly left the mountain and moved to San Diego and short order found a woman crazy enough to marry me and uh and my my daughters are now 19 and 17 and uh it's been it's been quite a journey but yes 
it continued to be a spiritual journey, but it looks very different than what it looked like in my 20s and 30s. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's anything where you start something and you have an, your original intent and then you learn more about it and it shifts and it molds and then you kind of make the best decisions as you go. Uh, what, what's really interesting, what you kind of alluded to is kind of the mental health battles you had through that isolation. I mean, um, I've read, you know, that at times you were having suicidal thoughts, you were being self-deprecating, you were questioning your purpose and all of your reasoning for going. It's just crazy how, you know, sometimes that that kind of experience and that process is required for you to then swing into the side of discovery and of, you know, the positive side of what you're there for. Um, would you mind kind of touching on that and maybe that transition between the negative to the positive or that discovery phase? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, the, um, you know, there was a number of surprises. I mean, I, you know, I was, I had meditated for very intensely and I worked with a teacher very closely for 11 years. I still was, unprepared for this type of complete isolation and to your point what i was least prepared for because i thought i was going to go in there and it was all going to be like angels singing and celestial music and you know enlightenment and the buddha descending and giving me great messages and instead what it started out with was um kind of a slow decline into profound self-loathing all the personal work and personal development and self-growth work that i'd done was fantastic, but um, there was still these sort of the deepest aspects of my self-loathing, self-negation, um, all these elements that I wouldn't accept about myself, that I didn't like about myself. And when I sat there in silence for a week, two weeks, a month, two months, three months, suddenly that was all that was coming to mind. All I could sit in there was a sense of, I suck, I'm stupid, I'm an idiot, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pointless, I'm worthless, nobody loves me. Um, without any mitigation, right? There was no TV or radio. There's no friends. There's no books. There's no parties. There's nobody to talk to. So it's just me sitting in this constant soup of uh, of negative self-talk, and and uh, that negative self-talk, as as you know very well, right? In in our world of personal development and self-growth, is is the uh, is very often the object of our effort, right? How do we minimize and and even switch off that negative self-talk? Now imagine that negative self-talk being singular, like there's nothing positive bumping through my head months at a time. I actually went into a very deep depression and kind of a suicidal period that was, was really tough. As a matter of fact, at one point in my suicidal ideation, um, the conversation switched inside. It wasn't so much like, "Oh, I suck. I'm a leech on society. I'm I'm worth worthless. I'm 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 even less worthy than an earthworm." I remember writing that in my notes. Suddenly, I had this realization: "Oh, I know what I can do to help society." I had this like a moment of clarity: "What I can do to help society is kill myself." Because if I kill myself, I'll no longer be a burden on society. And so suddenly it went from kind of a very depressing negative self-talk to a terrifying self-talk because now it, it made sense to kill myself. And I never knew that it was an option. Um, and uh, I will give great, great, great kudos to my teachers for 11 years of training me in meditation because meditation fundamentally is about being present to what is arising and passing, sort of in, in a Zen and a Buddhist tradition, right? It's about arising and passing, arising and passing. The, inter, the, the, the impermanence of all things and the essencelessness of all things is the essence of kind of the Zen teaching. And so 
I was able to sit through this profound suicidal depression and just let it arise and pass until it started lifting. Cause it's not real. I'm not really a leech. I'm not really worthless. I'm not really unlovable. None of us is all of us is a beautiful being. All of us is a unique luminous spirit. All of us is a powerful source of life manifesting in its unique form. But I, I, I forgot that I wasn't in touch with that. And so the process of sitting sort of courageously more than courage, it was just determination. I wasn't going to do it. I was just going to sit there and let it arise and pass. And then it lifted and it lifted and it lifted until eventually um, I sat my way through a suicidal episode. And, uh, and that took, you know, several months. And um, I'll tell you that on the back end of it at this point in life, and it's been 20, I guess, 21, 22 years now, um, I still have self-doubt and I still have frustration. I still have uh, my insecurities, but I haven't had a single voice of self-criticism in all those years. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because, I mean, your experience is unique. I mean, with the the isolation that you experienced and kind of really being forced to to address your thoughts. You know, I think that there's so much stimulation around us that, as you mentioned, we all have the negative self-talk. We all have the self-loathing tendencies. It's 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 all there and it's all going on in the background. We just aren't necessarily attuned to it because there's so much else going on. And sure, subconsciously, it's affecting us and it's something that we need to address. But it sounds like your experience was, it was kind of like, it, there is nothing else to do. It has completely consumed you because it was such it was such a, an environment that was lacking stimulation. So here you are addressing this head on, unlike anyone else. And of course, being able to come out the other end um, is, is a powerful, powerful exercise. It is. And I think that in this realm of conscious leadership and in the realm of sort of being conscious or even, you know, you know personal development, we, uh, there's a lot of effort and energy that's placed on, affirmations and positive talk and and those things are really really powerful and useful where they don't entirely uh end up as sufficient is that we have to face our demons and and it, we just have to and there's there's really there's really no way around it you know and and sort of the effort to pace the demon over with a bunch of smiley faces it's just a demon with a smiley face you know and when people get frustrated because their affirmations didn't work enough no, it's because the courage, the determination, the faith, whatever you want to call it, the grace, the honor, the self-respect that we can muster to face our demons and hang with them. Because we don't have to kill them or destroy them. We just have to learn to become um, present and have a relationship with our demons, with our self-loathing, with our self-doubt. And then by definition, those demons lose power. I don't know that they go away, but they become less powerful. And I think part of the challenge with a lot of the technology of the modern day version of enlightenment and self-growth is that we have found ways to generate ecstasy, to stimulate our neural systems through drugs, through meditation, through breathing, through, through community, through singing, through kirtans, through dancing. Those are all really powerful, wonderful things. But when we don't actually pause and take the real necessary attention to become friendly with our demons, we can never really be content. What we can be is we can be excited, but we can't be content. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that, I mean, it's so difficult for someone to do to ask someone to really look yourself in the mirror and figure out where you're deficient or what is bothering you. You know, I mean, that's just such an uncomfortable exercise that a lot of people fail to do it. And, you know, if I'm being honest with myself, I probably haven't done it enough. You know, it's something, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it takes time to work through. And I'm excited for that work because I'll discover a truer version of myself. But I mean, I can see why it's overlooked just because it's, it's uncomfortable, um, but it's necessary. And as you know, your, your experience in the woods, I mean, that totally highlights the power of stepping into that space, seeing what it gives you, you know, trusting your training, trusting everything that you have behind you so that you can um, actually experience the benefits from it rather than fall to the, the elements. Um, so no, I'm, I appreciate you sharing. It's, and that's, a, that's a really powerful uh, story. And obviously you coming from that space and being able to share kind of about conscious leadership and you know, you're, you're not, uh, you're not less than an earthworm, you know, you're not pointless. Um, you know, there's a lot to your life and actually kind of what you're pioneering within this, this community of conscious leadership is a great example of it, right? I mean, you are inspiring other people to be more socially conscious and to, to, to trust that their work is actually contributing to something larger. And, you know, kind of first for something that we haven't done yet, and I wanted to kind of create the framework for it. But what exactly is conscious leadership? If someone's trying to grasp onto a definition, can you can you just kind of touch on that? You know, that's a totally legitimate question, Brian, and one that I and and sort of my sort of growing community of folks in the space are um, having a hard time coming up with. When you say what is exactly is the definition, it's a totally fair question. I will tell you that I can give you a definition, but there are many definitions of it. And uh, but I'll tell you that. What I find to be a conscious leader is, is someone who is aware of what's going on inside and outside, the effects that decisions and actions have on the world and the interconnectedness of all the forces and actions and relationships. And so I think it's almost easier to define uh, a conscious leader by defining what an unconscious leader is, <laughs> you know, going the other direction where mm -hmm. um, an unconscious leader is somebody who's driven essentially by their ego. And the ego has kind of three big hungers that it's always questing for. It's just constantly, every ego is essentially trying to fulfill these three hungers, right? It's three things that it wants. It wants to be right. It wants to be liked. And it wants to have might, <laughs> right? That's what the ego wants. It wants to be right. We want to have, um, we want to have, you know, a sense of competence and uh, confidence and that we're right it wants to be liked. We want to be in relationship. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be connected. And it wants to have might. We want to have power and control and the ability to affect our life. And why does the ego want to be liked and right and have might? Is so that the human being can be safe. So that's kind of what the ego is about, right? The ego is about safety. It's about distinction. It's about identity. And it's about the ability to sort of fulfill its needs, to be right, to be liked, and to have might. So then a conscious leader, a conscious leader has those same things because every human being has an ego. But the conscious leader is also operating from this level, these three other dimensions that are the awakened dimensions, right? What I, I call wisdom, love, and courage. So this is what consciousness is about. Yes, you still have the, the desire to be liked, to be right, to be to have might. But you're also operating from wisdom, which is sort of seeing the big picture and understanding life. Love, which is a sense of interconnectedness and service and, and, um, and uh, acceptance and courage, which is powerful action in the world that is uh, a way to express the spirit within you and around other people. So 
the conscious leader is operating from this place, wisdom, love, and courage as an expression of the forces of life in their responsibility and in their relationships. Yeah, very interesting. So, and just to clarify, I guess on my end, so, I mean, I guess kind of built into wisdom, love, and courage is, you know, social consciousness in terms of trying to contribute to the world and kind of like have an emphasis in social impact. Is that built into this definition or is that more of a byproduct or do you see that as independent? Yeah, it is. It is absolutely part of it because, the, the, as I said, the sort of conscious leader is aware of what's going inside and out, right? So what's happening within me, what's happening around me. So that's already has consciousness, right? I'm, I'm aware of what's happening inside and outside. The effects of decisions and actions, which, which speaks to this relationship and connectedness and the interconnectedness of all of life. And so when you're saying about being socially conscious and socially responsible, that is a manifest expression of conscious leadership, because as a conscious leader, you are fundamentally aware of the interconnectedness of all life. The unconscious leader, the egoic leader, by definition, is focused only on themselves. Okay. Right? That's the nature of an egoic position. The ego is about protection and definition. I, ego is a Latin word for I. Literally, mm. I, me, I, the, the I-ing and me-ing that we constantly do is about the separate sense of self that's about my you know my power right my love my accomplishment my knowledge and the conscious leader is interconnected right so the social responsibility the social consciousness is not an effort it's an outcome because by definition you recognize as a conscious leader the interconnectedness that you and i brian are sitting here on two different ends of of a, of a communication line we are independent i am eric and you are brian but there's a deeper truth that you and I are interconnected. And to the degree that we can honor that and accept that and nurture that, we are being conscious and we are cultivating consciousness. And to the degree that a leader is willing to accept their demons of ego and hold that as part of a bigger picture and not just be sucked into their own self-centered perspective of the world, but have a life-centered perspective of the world. What does life need? What does society need? people need that's conscious leadership interesting yeah and, and i'm glad that you tied back in kind of a, a acknowledging the demons and doing the work to actually kind of step into the conscious leadership space because you need to understand the limitations that the i has so that we can serve the we that's kind of what maybe that's too simple but that's kind of what i distilled is an unconscious leader is you know let me make decisions for myself for i and then the conscious leader is let me make decisions for us you know so it's kind of this plurality and in emphasizing that that plurality exists, not just between you and your team, but everything that is connected in this universe, you know, so it's just kind of like there's, yeah, it's kind of that universal energy, um, tapping into that and kind of making decisions on behalf of the greater good, whatever that means, rather than your immediate circle, it's that larger holistic um, body, which is very interesting. No, it's something I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation, because I think it, it's going to raise a lot of eyebrows in terms of how people think about decision making and also how they think about the way that they lead and, and what they prioritize in that decision making. Uh, let me let me use one quick example, if I can, sort of um, sure, or, or an analogy rather. So think of I think of celestial bodies, right? So there's three types of uh, there's kind of the conscious and there's two types of unconscious leaders, right? So there's three types of celestial elements that I refer to. There's the the moon, the sun, and a black hole. So the the, the sort of the most egoic type of um, leader is a black hole. Right? They suck all the energy into them. The human being that has 
the need to just make it all about me. And you've met people like that, right? They take the credit in the team. They make all the, they have the best ideas. They have the biggest office. They need to have the most money, the most power. They, they, the competition is not enough to have to destroy the other person. It's all about me, 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 me. And a black hole is kind of a, a celestial body that just absorbs all the energy into it and, and projects no energy from it. So that's like the worst case scenario of an unhealthy, egoic person, right? That's an unhealthy state. Mm -hmm. um, there's another type of celestial body, the moon. The moon reflects light. It doesn't have its own energy that it emanates, but it, it reflects light. So there's a person who is, you know, they understand well enough that it's about me, but it's also about you. So I will take some of the light, but I'll reflect some of it back. So, you know, there's a, there's a pale luminosity that I will cast upon my team, my people, my business, my society. And then there's the conscious leader. That's the sun. The sun is a radiant ball of energy that does not get depleted because it shares its warmth and light and energy. And that's the conscious leader, right? The conscious leader is an emanation of energy that, that is not like the moon is just reflecting or the black hole is just absorbing, but the leader that is willing to just continuously radiate their wisdom, their time, their knowledge, their attention in order to help cultivate, grow, and sustain other people. That is an incredible example. No, thank you for walking through that. And I mean, even just the visual of, okay, these celestial bodies and, and thinking of light, you know, light and energy. I mean, when you make any decision or when you're acting in this world, all you're doing is you're giving, like you said, attention, you're giving energy to a certain thing. So having that kind of, yeah, this analogy of the three different celestial bodies and how they interact with light is a perfect example of how to then apply that to the energy that we're using and how we define within this conscious leadership space. Beautiful. And no, I'm glad, I'm glad we went through that and kind of to, to piggyback on that, you know, cause you know, as I've been expressing conscious leadership is new to me, but there is a full movement behind it that you are one of the most significant players in, which is extremely exciting, but also kind of places a big responsibility on those of us that are aware of it. Um, I, I know that we've talked about this before and I thought it was really interesting, which is kind of the history behind the conscious leadership space and how we've gotten to a point in society where it's now urgent, um, you know, and, and when we say that it's, you know, kind of the environment and cultures and war, you know, like there's just kind of a lot going on where we could use a little more of the influence from the conscious leadership community. Um, but, but what is that history behind the movement and why, you know, kind of we've gotten to this place of where it's urgent, um, but how did we get here? We got here, um, the arc of history, to your point, has been such that, you know, we started out as, you know, way back when, right, as what were they called? The hunter-gatherers, right? So the hunter-gatherers, they were just subsistence. What do we need to do to survive? And then we settled down into, you know, into tribes and city-states and nation-states and, and empires. And But essentially what's happened through history is that we've moved from just being in sustenance mode to being in an organized mode and then organized became governed so we had two forces of governance right the the emergence of religion as a governing force and government as a government force whether it was the king or the queen or the or the, or the chief and then it became the governments and what we've now arrived in sort of you know in the 2000s as it were is that it's no longer really a government or religion that is calling the shots and shaping society it's shifted. It started shifting in the Industrial Revolution with the growth of the middle class and the industrial class in the 1700s. And it's culminated now into the, you know, the postmodern area. We have um, these global businesses. So if you think of uh, Google or Facebook or Microsoft or, you know, uh, 
any any sort of large global company, the leaders of business have become the de facto shapers of society. My boss, even at a local level, right? My boss at work has more impact on my life than my priest does or my rabbi does, right? My uh, my uh, choices in life are driven by commercial forces, and those commercial forces are being driven by commercial and business leaders. And so we've arrived at a time where business leaders of all you know ages and sizes of companies have become the de facto shapers of human society. And the problem is, the urgent problem is that business leaders, for the most part, are still trained in the mentality of profit to shareholders, which is an egoic sort of self, you know, I for, I for me. And we can't really, literally, we cannot afford for business leaders to be unconscious. They have to be conscious leaders because they've become not just the leaders of commerce, but the leaders of society. Right. And that sounds like the movement at large. I mean, this movement is kind of getting those people who are shaping society, which you mentioned has now transitioned to the businesses and the executives. It's about getting them to be aware of conscious leadership and how they're making decisions in this egoic state. Because once we do that, we can actually help to empower and facilitate the flow of value that is kind of the natural transition and progression of our world rather than this me, me, me mentality. And and that's, you know, again, kind of like now that we are aware of this necessary shift, you know, trying to identify what we do about it is kind of the next question. And, you know, that's what you've created a company around, right? Is yeah. being able to empower executives with the practices to be able to operate in a more conscious or socially co contributing way, um, which is inspiring. Um, and, and kind of, yeah, I mean, what, but for the, for the casual person, what are kind of the next, uh, what are the next steps of action that kind of the, the average conscious leader could do, um, to, to get involved? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a great question. Um, I'll give you a couple of sort of national examples of conscious leadership, just real quick. Uh, after the shooting in Florida, was it last year or the year before in the high school shooting, um, there was an outcry about gun proliferation in the United States and um, the government did nothing about it. And the churches could offer their thoughts and prayers. And you know who stood up and sort of took action? Delta Airlines, Dick Sporting Goods and Walmart. Like, hmm. what is that all about? Right. You, you suddenly have businesses, to, you know, making moral decisions. I mean, uh, Delta Airlines was actually punished by the lieutenant governor of Georgia saying, we're going to pull your fuel credits if you don't give the NRA credit again. And the CEO, Ed Bastian, the CEO of uh, Delta Airlines said, you know, our decision was not made on economic gain and our values are not for sale. Hmm. And so when you ask, what is it that we can do? The first thing we got to do as conscious leaders is get real clear about what our values are. What is driving you above and beyond profit? The triple bottom line is very popular right now, if you're familiar with that idea. The triple bottom line is, is profit, people, and planet. So how do you get aligned in the triple bottom line? So can your team, can your business, can your company really be an advocate for profit? Because we got to have profit. Profit is the lifeblood of a business. No argument. Let's not even talk about it. It's necessary. It's undeniable. But there's also planet and people. What are you doing that's affecting the planet, not only in terms of recycling, but in terms of how you source your materials, in terms of how you, uh, how you move goods around the planet, you know, what are you doing for the planet and what are you doing for the people, the people inside your business at a very, very local level? How are you making the people's lives better if you have a team of five people 
do they leave work feeling like shit or do they leave work feeling like they're a better human being? And it's not like every single day, but on the whole. So the triple bottom line of profit people planet is, is one way to, to think about it. And the values, what are your values? What are you attuned to? Is it really about compassion? Is it about collaboration? Is it about you know preservation? Is it about sustain, sustainability? Is it about growth? Is it about respect? And then living into those values, because when we when we list the values and then we don't live into them, it's because our ego is in control again. So one of the great things we can do is we can say, here are my values. This is what I stand for. And when you don't, when you fall short, you don't beat yourself up for being an idiot. You look at what is an unexamined belief system. That's the other thing that we all have to do is we have to look at our beliefs. Because our beliefs drives our expectations, our expectations drives our behaviors, our behaviors drives our relationships, and that produces the results in our lives. So you have to, as a conscious leader, look at your beliefs. Do I believe that people are inherently good? Do I believe that people are inherently bad? Do I believe that I am worthy of power? Do I believe that I am not worthy of power? Do I believe that um, if I give to other people, I will be depleted by it? Do I believe in competition? We have to look at our values and our beliefs and then attach that to that triple bottom line. Those are some of the sort of concrete things that you can do. In yeah, there. yeah, that's, uh, so, I mean, kind of what I took from that and what I try and practice even a little bit too. So maybe I'm, I'm taking the right steps myself, but it sounds like there's this important element of self-awareness where you need to understand your own reasons, your purpose, your values, how you're aligned with those different areas. And then kind of relating that, you know, to the Delta Airlines example, that's an awesome example and a very tangible way that we can understand that conscious leadership is being put into action. But again, kind of separating that and being like, okay, none of us have the same attention as Delta Airlines. What can we do as individuals to kind of support and facilitate this conscious leadership movement as it is urgent and as you described? And kind of my, my takeaway with that was... So here we are with our local attention, right? Just because we're not Delta Airlines doesn't mean we don't have the opportunity to influence and having that clarity on your values and supporting the different initiatives and even, you know, kind of living in a sustainable and kind of contributing way is one of the things that we can do to then use our immediate attention to uh, encourage others to embrace conscious leadership and almost have that kind of domino effect. So the average person just by living and sharing about their kind of own uh, relationship with conscious leadership, that might be kind of the first step that people can take. And then of course, as you earn the authority and you gain the platform and you have the audience, then and kind of, I guess what I'm doing now is you take that relative piece of attention and then you kind of introduce it at large too. So it just kind of is a responsibility we all have within our own kind of ecosystem to share about conscious leadership. Does, does that sound kind of like a, a fair next step or did I miss the, the boat there? Exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. And, and I think that, you know, in, in my description earlier of wisdom, love, and courage, right? Those are things that you can practice right away. Wisdom is seeing below, beyond the obvious and, and you know, below the surface and beyond the obvious. So, you know, the practice of mindfulness and meditation is critical. I would say anybody who would like to be more conscious has to meditate. And yes, that sounds, you know, bombastic and prescriptive, um, but there's just no way around, no matter what personality type you are, Meditation is, is a proven, powerful tool to become more self-aware. And, and to be conscious and to be self-aware is synonymous. So meditation is one, right? This idea of love is, you know, the practice of immediately practicing things like gratitude and appreciation. 
Anyone can do that at any level. You don't have to be the CEO of Delta to show up to work tomorrow and practice gratitude and appreciation. Mm-hmm. That is a form of love. Because what you're doing when you're doing when you're when I give you gratitude or when I share appreciation, I take the attention off of me and onto you. So right away, it's not about my ego; it's about you. And I give you my attention. I'm a sun. I'm radiating light at you with gratitude. Mm-hmm. And 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 with courage, you know, the uh, one of the great exercises with courage is exploration exploring different ideas and sort of opening your mind to have more of an open, exploratory, curious mindset. Curiosity is one of the king sort of forces of consciousness. Hmm. Curiosity and consciousness are intimately related. So right there, we have some practices you can do right away, right? Meditation, gratitude and appreciation, and a deep sense of curiosity. And if you do that, you are your consciousness yeah no that that's awesome that's really that's a really good takeaway there and i can totally attest to the value of meditation i i came from the camp where i was like okay i'm gonna do this because everyone says that it works but i don't believe it and you know i just kind of came from that cynical approach almost and it has totally changed my life and you know it's it just is one of those things that you have to really trust it um to let it kind of get the effects that um, you're looking for. And I'm glad that that is, you know, really closely tied to this conscious leadership space, because again, it's a self-awareness piece. And then you, you know, transition into the courage and the curiosity and kind of, as you mentioned, with um, kind of just being open to explore, I kind of actually interpreted that as a two-way street. So of course, one, you're open to explore and you're, you're kind of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, looking to see what you can experience. But then on the second part of it is you need to be willing and receptive and open-minded so as people mm-hmm. violate and question some of the things that you have uh, that you believe to be true you have an open mind to be receptive of course and you know incorporate that idea as it fits into your life and to again facilitate that curiosity because um, it's just that culture of curiosity is going to really help people step into the areas that are important that they can then relate to others and create this ripple effect and um, kind of everything that we're looking for in this conscious leadership space. Um, I think that is amazing. Awesome, Eric. I'm glad that we talked kind of at the end about the real tactics and exercises people can take action on if they're really motivated to kind of um, explore, you know, as we're talking about it, explore this idea. But I mean, the education does not stop there. You know, there's so much more to it and there's so much more to your story as well. So where where would you recommend people learn more about the work that you do and kind of the conscious leadership space at large? Uh, my website is sagatica.com, S-A-G-A-T-I-C-A, sagatica. It comes from sagatica's uh, Latin word for wisdom, sagatica.com. Um, my book, The Four Virtues of a Leader, is a deep dive into four virtues that you have to turn on in order to become the kind of uh, self-mastering person that can be in the realm of, of consciousness. Uh, I have a new book coming out. Um, in a few months called Leadership Breakdown. Uh, Leadership Breakdown looks at, you know, what is it that gets in the way of being a conscious leader and how do we actually rise from a breakdown to a breakthrough? Um, and that's coming out. That's going to be a very, um, very clear guide for conscious leadership. Um, and um, I would look up the Conscious Leadership Guild. I'm, I'm a, one of the founders of the Conscious Leadership Guild. We have resources and articles. Um, and then I have a, a YouTube uh, channel uh, Sagatica Wisdom, Sagatica Wisdom on YouTube, and I have a whole host of videos that I've got up there on the different aspects and elements of conscious leadership, which are really practical and tactical. Perfect, cool. I will, I will make sure all those are linked, and I'll direct people to that. So, and explore those resources myself because that sounds like 
an awesome opportunity to kind of round out the education that we had in this short conversation. Um, I love ending these conversations with kind of the the resonating point that we're trying to get across. You know, if there's one takeaway or highlight that either summarizes the conversation or expands upon it, but it's the necessary component, kind of what, what do you want to leave people with today as um, they move on with their day? I want to leave people with this idea that um, you are the creator and the raw material is love. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and that's so true. I mean, within the conscious leadership space, of course, love is one of the, the pillars, as you described. But I mean, love really is everything, right? I mean, love is connection. Love is value. Love is importance. Love is fulfillment. Um, I, I, don't, I think we, can, we can't leave it at any better point than that. Eric, thank you so much for making the time today. I really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to seeing you continue to change this ever dynamic landscape uh, through conscious leadership. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. <sighs> that is such a refreshing conversation. Personally, I totally relate. And while I have a lot of work to do to become a truly conscious leader, it is great to learn that there are more people out there. We talked about how the movement started as a transition from religion and government setting culture to companies and brands. We talked about the triple bottom line of profit, people, and planet, and how conscious leaders make decisions with all of these factors in mind, including a great case study about Delta Airlines. We talked about what it means to be a conscious leader, and although difficult to define, what are the qualities of a conscious leader? Fundamentally, a conscious leader is someone who makes decisions for we, not I, prioritizing an interconnectedness and shared value in action, choosing the whole over the self. I feel inspired to continue living in service as much as I can, to operate not for profit, but for purpose. And if you're with me, then let's do it together. Reach out to me at selfimprovementdailytips at gmail.com and we can find ways to get you involved in the podcast and the other vehicles I'm using to serve. That's it for now, but thank you so much for taking the time. We'll be back next week. Subscribe to check it all out. I'll see you then on Self-Improvement Daily.